And welcome back into the Bama Bee Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Two times in two days, Brett. We are, uh, I think this is a record for us. Surely it's not. I'm just kidding. But it does. It's the <laughs> first time in forever that we have gone two days in a row. Uh, it, it's been a minute. So good to hear your voice, man. Uh, I know it's been so long. How is how has your life been over the last uh, 23 hours? Man, wild stuff. Just you know, you got quarterbacks getting their lungs punctured by team doctors <laughs> at the last second. Uh, one of the wildest stories that just broke. Uh, one of the wildest stories I've ever heard. Got to feel terrible for Tyrod Taylor. Uh, you know, we're not going <laughs> to spend a bunch of time talking about the NFL. <laughs> But uh, could you imagine just sitting there, you know, supposed to be getting some kind of injection for a rib injury and all of a sudden, old boy, you know, hits you with a needle and it punctures your lung. Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine how scary that was for him. So good to know that he's not only okay, but he's going to be healthy enough to play this week or he's going to, you know, be back on the field. I'm not surprised at this point they're staying committed to him. You don't want to bench your starting quarterback because your team doctor decided to puncture him with a needle. Uh, that wouldn't be good optics, uh, according to the masses. So looks like it's going to be Tyrod Taylor. Not what we're spending our time talking about today. Brett, Worst go game ahead. operation ever. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, there are probably going to be a lot of guys, whether it be, you know, I don't know how much, you know, how common that is on the collegiate level. I'm sure to some degree there are players that have, you know, banged up ribs that need to have that kind of thing done. But uh, I know that if I was a player, regardless of if I was Tyrod Taylor and actually experienced it, now that you know that's a possibility, I'm extra nervous about that kind of thing. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But what we're going to be talking about today is Alabama-Missouri. We broke down the depth chart for Alabama yesterday, got that out, you know, spent just over an hour. We're going to try to keep this one short. Going to be discussing Alabama's week one opponent. So, Brett, just go ahead and kind of kick us off, and uh, I'll follow your lead. So let's talk about Missouri on the defensive side of things. They, they had a really good pa- pass defense last year. They were tied for 13th in the nation in yards per attempt allowed last year. They have a really good safety duo, Joshua Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie. They're both back. And, and when you combine them with the linebacker, Nick Bolton, who is also back, they, are, they have 25 of Missouri's 56 pass breakups from last year coming back. In just those three players, and there there are obviously more. So so Missouri had a top fifteen pass defense in the nation by by that one statistic, and probably others last year. And they're returning some of the more uh, disruptive pieces to to that pass defense. So that's that's something to note when when Mac Jones is taking his first start as the season long starter in theory, season long starter. Um, and, and he's got a couple of wide receivers that he's breaking in, possibly a new tight end if uh, if they rotate Carl Tucker in um, frequently or at least regularly. Um, so there, there are some disruptive aspects of that Missouri defense to, to take into consideration. The flip side of that is Mizzou had almost no pass rush last year. Now, they had moments of being a downright dominant defense against the run they allowed less than a yard per carry against South Carolina less than two and a half yards per carry against Florida but only 19 sacks last year which was tied for 106th 
in the nation. Now they've they've had at least 27 sacks in all but two of their seasons in the SEC. So gener- generating that little pass rush was atypical for them. Kobe Whiteside is back. He's the only dude from last year that had more than three sacks, and he's a legit talent. He's a second or third team All SEC guy, depending on on where you look. But Missouri's going to need more from elsewhere because good DBs still get beat uh, by good offense and in this offensive climate. So I, I think we'll probably get to predictions later on, but I'm, I can go ahead and say now I've got Bama covering and covering somewhat easily because I, I don't know that this defense is too old to keep up with, with Alabama's offensive line. I think Bama's offensive line is going to, going to pretty well dominate this. Now, I do think Missouri is going to be better uh, pass rush wise. I mean, how could, how could they not? Um, but, but I think they're, they're just, they just aren't up to the task of, of, of meeting this Alabama offensive line, which to be fair, I guess you could say for, for most teams in the SEC this year. Yeah. And, and I'm right there with you. Uh, you pretty much did a pretty good job of breaking all that stuff down. Uh, they got some impactful players, you know, like you mentioned, Kobe Whiteside, probably their most disruptive defensive lineman. Nick Bolton's one of the most underrated linebackers in college football. Uh, you know, he's going to need to make a big impact. Kel Garrett was a guy who played next to him last year, was the tackling machine um, for that defense last season. He goes down with an injury uh, just a couple of games into the season, and from there Nick Bolton took over and became that guy, had over 100 tackles last year, and, and I expect him to, to, you know, even be a more of the – the top-notch defensive impact player for Missouri. They just don't have a ton uh, around them, or at least not a proven guys. Now that they have the pieces returning, I think like seven of their starters from last season. That's fantastic, considering it's a defense that finished uh, in the top 30 or near the top 30, and uh, whether it be scoring defense, rushing defense, passing defense, and total defense, they were you know right at or just uh, outside the top 30 in all four of those statistical categories, and they were in the top 20 in a lot of them. That's great for them, uh, but this is going to be a much different season. You're not going to have those kind of cupcake games to pad your stats a little bit and help out. So I'll be curious to see, you know, having to go against uh, the type of schedule that Missouri is going to have to deal with. I'm going to be curious to see how they finish as far as their record. I'm going to be curious to see how they finish as far as statistically uh, relative to other teams around the country and other conferences. And, you know, as you see, I would probably suspect that they would be one of, you know, maybe a a mid-tier defense, but – offensively is going to be what in my opinion could end up holding them back but they have some exciting pieces offensively as well it's I'm not going to completely discredit them on that side of the football because you know you have the the quarterback battle that's still going on Sean Robinson a lot of people thought you know he's a TCU transfer a lot of people thought he would be the guy that would be the starter but Connor Baslick is that how you say it by the way yes okay just wanted to make sure always never want to if I mispronounce the name once you know, I can I can live with that, but if I could do it throughout an entire podcast, uh, you know, that's something I wouldn't want uh, on record. But you know, both those two guys and and Basilek is the guy who's actually listed as the number one on the depth chart. Does that really matter? Uh, probably not, because you got to think. Um, you know, Drinkwitch is is trying to throw Alabama as much of a curveball as possible at that position. He's made that well known, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it might not automatically be Sean Robinson, the more dual threat quarterback guy that everybody was expecting. It could could be Basilek. We'll just kind of have to play 
the wait-and-see game with that, too. Larry Roundtree, the running back, one of the better running backs returning in the SEC, very underrated guy as well, has rushed, I think, for 700-plus yards in each of his seasons, three seasons as the, the running back there from Missouri, but it's not just him. It's Tyler Beatty, too. Uh, they got a nice little one-two punch there. The problem is it's every other spot, really. The, the receivers have been decimated a little bit uh, through departures. Um, you know, Jonathan Nance and Jonathan Johnson, both those two guys, they're, they're top two, actually, receivers from last year. Uh, they're both gone. Tyler Beatty actually led the team in receptions, but from the, the yardage and touchdown standpoint, it was the other two guys. Uh, Alberto, I don't know how to pronounce his last name correctly. Yeah, I, I noticed that Missouri people have just gone with calling him Albert O, which, which is the perfect indication. Like they, they're there every day. They're around the people there every day, and they just go Albert O. So I, I think you're you're perfectly justified in that. That actually makes me feel a lot better. Uh, but <laughs> you know, losing him, you know, fourth round pick to the Denver Broncos, one of the better tight ends in the SEC over the last couple of seasons. Uh, that's a pretty big loss. Um, so that they, you know, just from a weapons standpoint for whoever starts a quarterback, they're going to be breaking in some new guys. Uh, Damon Hazelton, the Virginia Tech transfer, he's probably going to assume those number one duties. But I don't know how much you're going to be able to, to you know, we, we don't really have a whole, whole lot to go off of from him as far as being at Missouri. 6'3", 215, got good size, got good length for the position. We'll kind of have to see how that plays out. But they're losing three of their five offensive linemen from last year from the center you know, all the way to the left tackle, all three of those guys are gone. Uh, so they've got some turnover on that side of the football and a lot of uncertainty and question marks, and that can make them difficult to prepare for. If you're Alabama, you don't really know exactly what to expect with a new coaching staff, new quarterback, um, you know, new weapons in, in the receiving game, you know, mostly new offensive line. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out where, with where this is at. And, and I wanted to get clarification from you. The line right now, you know, it started off, I think, at 25 and a half Alabama, obviously. It got as high as 28, but currently right now I think it's sitting at 27. You like Alabama uh, in this matchup, you know, giving up the 27 points. I do. Um, yeah. I, I, I do. And we'll we'll get to our our predictions at the end. We're also going to have more insight on – on Missouri, I had a I had a chance to talk to Eric Blum, the Missouri beat writer for the Columbia Daily Tribune. We'll we'll hear from him not much longer, but I, I do think that that Bama's going to cover. Um, and that as you mentioned, that line did move because Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz last week said that Missouri was going to have twelve players out of this game for for COVID testing and and contact tracing. Uh, reasons he has since walked that back to seven because they discovered some some errors in their in their testing process. But uh, wh- whatever the number is, Missouri is going to be at, at less than a hundred percent due to uh, COVID nineteen testing, and, and you can probably reasonably assume or at least project that Alabama will have a, a similar situation. Alabama just isn't being uh, as forthcoming with their information as, as Eli Drinkwitz and Missouri has been. But as you mentioned, the, the line moved a few points in, in Alabama's favor once uh, once Drinkwitz said that publicly. But even with that, like I'm looking at Vegas Insider right now. Uh, BetMGM has it at 27 under uh, at 27 point favorite. And actually pretty much all of the Vegas books have it at, at 27. The only 
odd ones are South Point has it at 27 and a half and DraftKings has it at 28. But uh, BetMGM, Westgate, they all have it at, at 27. Doesn't that seem low to you? Like, does it, isn't Alabama so immensely more talented than Missouri that they should win this game by at least 35, if not more? I would think so on a surface level. Uh, now, you, what I think will play in Alabama's favor, uh, like I said, you're breaking in a new quarterback. You're breaking in a new uh, a coaching staff that are implementing new systems for the players who are returning. You didn't have a typical offseason. For Alabama, the continuity is one of their greatest strengths this year. You know, they're returning both coordinators on both sides of the football for the first time in forever, it seems like. Uh, returning a guy who at least got, you know, four starts last year and Mac Jones at quarterback. He's going to be your starter. Four out of five offensive linemen, two of your top four receivers. Uh, so, I mean, the, the stable of running backs, we could go on and on. The point being, on both sides of the football, they lost key players, don't get me wrong, but Alabama has kind of proven to be one of those teams that you know reloads and doesn't have to rebuild. And when you combine that with what Missouri is dealing with, because we don't know who those seven players are. You know, if it's just the seven that end up having to miss, is that a, a Sean Robinson or a Larry Roundtree or a Nick Bolton? Um, from everything that I've tr- – because I've tried to find it out, I don't know who those players are. Maybe, you know, you were able to get some information in that interview uh, that could, you know, shine some light on it. Probably not. I mean, I don't know how they would have any information uh, more than we we do, at least to some degree, uh, with it being medical or medically related stuff. But I just think there's a lot that plays in Alabama's favor as far as that stuff goes. Now, there might be some first game rust, uh, some, you know, you're breaking new guys in. You don't really know what to expect. You know, how the good part about it for for Alabama um, is is they do a really good job of of getting into the season very focused. Now, in the past, they've kind of approached the philosophy that, you know, they want to, um, you know, play a really good opponent in week one because they want to kind of establish where they're at uh, as far as being a team. They want to keep their team focused. You know, Nick Saban wants to keep his team focused throughout the offseason. You can do that a little bit easier when you have a really big week one opponent. Um, but for a, a special season like this, I don't think Nick Saban and that coaching staff, you know, minded playing a, a team like Missouri. And, and you don't want to take anything away from them because, you know, they're, they're still an SEC team. This isn't, you know, Citadel or, or somebody else. I keep, always use them as the example. Uh, I don't mean to always take shots at Citadel, but I mean, we're just going to be honest. They're not Missouri. Uh, it, as far as being a program, it's still an SEC opponent. It's something you've got to prepare for. The one time Alabama didn't have a top-notch week one opponent recently was last year against Duke, and they struggled in the first half. You had some guys that got suspended for the first half of that game. Uh, That kind of affected things a little bit, but uh, Alabama kind of started slower than normal. And so I hope that doesn't happen. You know, we do know Missouri's historically has been, or at least recently, now new coaching staff, we'll kind of see how this changes, but they've been a team that has started really slow the last several years, including years that people thought Missouri was going to be pretty dang good, uh, faltered out the gate pretty much, and so uh, you might see that. There's just a lot of unknown factors, and, and as we start to break down these games, uh, you know, fo- with following this week and week two and moving forward, it'll be a lot easier because we can actually point to things and say, okay, this is what they did well, this is what they didn't do well, but right now there's just so many unknown factors with both teams. It's kind of hard to gauge, and maybe that's why they wanted to keep that line down a little bit. But I don't know. Uh, I, I certainly agree with you. You know, I, I would. I'm not going to tell you like as as uh, Cecil likes to say all the time. I'm not going to tell people to go bet their milk money. But 
you know, if, if I had to pick somebody in this game, it would easily be Alabama and given, even giving up 27 points. Honestly, if, if I could ethically bet on, on Bama to cover this game, I would. Right. Like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm that confident in it. And I'm curious why the line is, is that low. Cause I realize there's, there's uncertainty around, around basically everything in the sport at this point, but a, those things also apply to Missouri. Um, and B, those things apply to every game happening in, in college football this year. So you would think the, the books have a way of, of adjusting for that, that would be more nuanced than just taking a more conservative approach to big favorites. Like maybe it's, maybe it's reductionist of me. Call me out if, if it is, but, is this just kind of skepticism of Mac Jones? Like, is this, is, is this the, the, the books kind of adjusting for what they presume is an offensive regression in losing to a Wills, Judy and rugs. I don't see how you could view it that way because of what I point. I pointed out that way because the over under on this game is only 56. So right. that, that was would, something else that stood out. Yeah, that would put Bama that if you have an over under 56 with Bama favored by 27, what would what would that be? Is that like what would what would the projected final score there be? Uh, oh, that's a good question. It's it's like 41 to 14, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's exactly what it is, which is kind of right in there in line with. What if you would have asked me, I would have said like a 42 to 14 type of game, a 45, 10, maybe uh, th- those type. I think Alabama probably scores somewhere in the mid to low 40s and Missouri somewhere between 10 to 14. Um, so that would when, when you put it that way, putting uh, projecting them to score 41 isn't isn't disrespecting the tide, I guess. So I can I can live with that now. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying though. You know, it kind of seems like one of those games when you, uh, I don't remember what the line was last week for Clemson Wake Forest, but you would kind of view it in a similar manner. And I want to say that was like 32 and a half or 33 or something like that. So it does seem kind of a little bit uh, on the low side. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's SEC on SEC. Anything can happen. Um, it, it's on. It is on the road. How much does that matter? You know, going to Columbia with. Uh, I don't. In fact, and it's something that I should know, and I, you probably have the answer, but I haven't went and looked into what Missouri Stadium capacity is for this opening week game. Is it zero fans or is it twenty five percent? Do we do we have that? You know, I, I didn't. I didn't ask Eric, and we're gonna play that interview momentarily. Um, and I, I don't. I can try to Google it real quick, but Faro Field only holds 62,621. So if we're going with the roughly 25% that most schools have been going with, at least SEC schools, you're talking 15,000. Yeah. 15,655 people. Okay. All right. And you know, it could be 20%. I just, some states have been more stringent based off of, you know, what they're, the, the state has actually allowed the schools to do. Um, so that is something to monitor. I don't know why going through all this, I haven't really went and looked into that. I guess I've just kind of automatically assumed that every SEC school was somewhere in that neighborhood of 20 to 25 percent. They are. I looked it up. Missouri's okay. going to be about 25 percent capacity. The, the amount approximates 
15,655 fans. And see, you know, I'll say this, uh, that helps as far as, you know, momentum of games. Uh, there are high school games, you know, state championship games that happen in, in Bryant Denny stadium and, and Jordan Hare stadium, where that's roughly what they have, you know, 15 to 20,000 people show up sometimes less than that. And it's, it, it's a little weird looking at the stadium with so much of it empty, but as far as momentum goes and things like that, crowd noise it at least at least makes it a little bit more realistic and makes momentum a very real thing but it's not even close to being the same kind of home field advantage it would typically be uh you know relative to a full stadium there in columbia so i don't really think that's what's holding you know alabama being on the road i don't think that's necessarily holding that line down so that's actually a very good point uh and when you do break it down the score it, it makes a little bit more sense but for me uh, all signs point to Alabama uh, big in this game. You got a lot of uh, guys. You know, you're talking about Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. They've got some stuff to prove. Uh, there are people that think they're extremely talented, but they're curious to know how good they'll be having to be the the number one and number two options. You know, when you got Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs doing the things that they were doing, uh, that takes a lot of the uh, defense's attention off of those third and fourth options even though Devonte smith led the team in a lot of statistical categories th- there was a lot of times last season where you know it was to a tongue of a low at taking what the defense gave him and that was taking away henry ruggs and and jerry judy and leaving Devonte smith to be the guy uh, there's also times where he absolutely embarrassed uh one of the best defensive backs in college football if not the best defensive back in Derek stanley jr uh in that lsu game so you know, even guys like that, I think that Alabama is going to be trying to make a statement. Mac Jones is going to want to prove that he's still the same quarterback that he was last year. He did, you know, whether you talk about Arkansas, um, you know, in, in games like that, you know, he did well against Auburn. He did well against Michigan. But against the teams like Arkansas, he at least proved that he's not one of those quarterbacks that's going to kind of uh, not take a, a lesser opponent, uh, you know, kind of not take them as seriously as he should and, and underperform. He, uh, I mean, he statistically he pre- played one of his best games last season against Arkansas. Hopefully that ends up being the case against Missouri. And I think, you know, from that standpoint, it would be very tough to, uh, very tough to pick against Alabama just, you know, for our sake. And I'm looking very forward to checking out this interview that you had, but uh, did he say anything about, you know, Missouri's chances and how they were feeling from their media perspective and covering the game. Yeah. In terms of like their, um, in terms of like their media availability and their access or no, no what, I guess what I mean is, is how, how are they feeling about the game? You know, are they approaching it in a sense of, you know, it's an uphill battle or are they looking at some things and saying, you know, we actually feel like if some things go right, Missouri's got a real shot here. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're they understand that it's an uphill battle. I, I don't think I don't think you're gonna have a a a, a split opinion on on who's gonna win this game, or, or I don't think you're gonna have a wide variety of of score predictions. I do think there is some optimism for the future under Eli Drinkwitz, um, and maybe if this game were happening in 2024, there there might be some some people who who think Missouri could make it close or possibly pull an upset. It's just Missouri doesn't have the roster to, to do that right now. Um, so let's go to the interview with Eric Blum. And I have one more question for you about this game before 
we give our prediction. So here's here's my interview with Eric Blum, the Missouri beat writer for the Columbia Daily Tribune. And now we're joined on the Bama Beat podcast by Eric Blum, the Missouri beat writer for the Columbia Daily Tribune. You can follow him on Twitter. What's your what's your Twitter handle, Eric? It's at by Eric Blum. E y e r i c b l u m. Okay, uh, he's got updates on on Mizzou throughout the week and leading up to to game day. I'm I'm sure you'll be in the press box. I will not due to attendance um, restrictions and and all that. But I'm sure you'll have the the Missouri side covered from the the press box at at Faro Field. Appreciate you joining us, Eric. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it, it's a weird year with travel, but I plan on being to Faro Field and you know probably two and a half, three hours before kickoff and seeing what is going on with college football in 2020. It's it's a weird thing, but it feels almost sort of normal that we're talking like this and we have a game on Saturday and all that. But this you know, is the first week that we felt normal in months. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Just like I, I just did a story off of Drinkwitz's, uh, Eli Drinkwitz's presser from Tuesday. It's like, wow, I haven't felt that need to get that just amount of news in that wasn't completely breaking news like, for example, the SEC going to a 10-game schedule, which is why Alabama's playing Missouri. But, you know, beyond that, just this, for a normal news cycle, this is as normal it's felt since probably the first week of March. Yeah. So let's start with Eli Drinkwitz because I'm, I'm going to do the, the bad interview thing where I give you my opinion and then I ask the, the question. But there's a reason for it, I promise. Sure. So my podcast co-host, Clint, and I were reviewing the SEC coaching hires this had to have been back in, in January, and, and my thought on it, and I think Clint was more or less of the, the same line of thinking. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my, my line of thinking was Missouri better have more or less ignored the 2019 season when they hired Eli Drinkwitz because in his one year as App State's head coach, that was, that was a ready-made machine. There was, there was nothing about that season that says anything good or bad about Eli Drinkwitz because, again, he inherited something that was ready-made and, and built for him. And now if he had kept it for three or four years and he, he kept the same level of, of winning and, and all that, you could, say he, or you could say he has something of a skill for maintaining a winning culture or developing talent, whatever the case may be. So if, if Missouri was going to pull the trigger on an Eli Drinkwitz, they needed to base that on – his time as the OC at NC State or his time in the, in the Boise State program. So having said all that, mm-hmm. why did Missouri hire Eli Drinkwitz? Well, uh, that's a, that, that's a, that could be a whole different podcast in its own right. <laughs> um, uh, the long story short is I think they liked his enthusiasm and they wanted to just completely almost want just, just a, a clean slate after Barry Odom, you know, uh, obviously Gary Pinkle uh, was the coach who replaced Nick Saban at Toledo uh, comes from that coaching tree. And so after 15 years of the most success they've ever seen under him, they basically did the good will hire and hired his defensive coordinator and Barry Odom. Uh, and essentially Barry Odom just didn't live up to expectations in 2019. He's now the DC at Arkansas. And you know, that 2019 was just a mess from a roller coaster, a roller coaster, whatever you want to call it. So now you know, I think they just wanted to go in a completely different direction with a type of head coach that could just bring different types of things to the program. I think that when you look at what Eli Drinkwitz kind of brings, you kind of see a lot of different just features when you, you know, 
that you don't see usually from Missouri head coach. Barry Odom and Gary Pinkle both kind of suit and tie and very proper and conventional. When Eli Drinkwitz is, has a telegenic nature to him, he kind of likes being in front of the camera. He knows how to you know push the narrative kind of to his benefit. And, you know, so far so good, I, I, I'd say. Uh, you know, before Eli Drinkwitz was hired, it took Missouri 10 days from the firing of Barry Odom to name him head coach. Um, they had released three names that the Board of Trustees at Missouri wanted to name. And Eli Drinkwitz is not one of the three. It was Will, it was Will Healy at Charlotte, Blake Anderson at Arkansas State, and Jeff Monken at Army. Mm-hmm. And none of those seemed like big splash hires, not that Drinkwitz did, but Drinkwitz at least had success coaching the conference. If you're going to hire a coach from the Sun Belt, might as well get the one from the Sun Belt champion, not the one who finished mid pack in the Sun Belt, Arkansas State. So uh, when it came down to it, both Arkansas and Missouri offered Eli Drinkwitz the job kind of that end of that Sunday after they beat Louisiana Lafayette in the Sun Belt Championship game. He went with Missouri for whatever reason, and then Arkansas hired Sam Pittman. So that's kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of why they hired him. Um, and I think they also hired him off a reputation that he had a ton of good connections and could bring a well-rounded staff to Missouri. Well, he probably went with Missouri over Arkansas because who would want to inherit that dumpster fire right now? My God. Um, good point. But, uh, I mean, at, at the same time, he, he's from – or he's an Arkansas native. He, uh, you know, probably, you know, would have been closer to family there a tiny bit, even though they have family in Joplin, Missouri. But, you know, I, I think also Missouri has more of a ready-made roster to win quicker than Arkansas does because I think it's on the table for Arkansas to go 0-10 this year. And, and it's interesting – Alabama tie out of Eli Drinkwitz. As you mentioned, he's an Arkansas native. He was on Gus Malzahn's staff at, at Springdale High School in, in Arkansas. So he's he was educated in, in that line of thinking. Um, to, to get to this year's Missouri team, or, or kind of transitioning from last year's team to this year's team, what happened to Missouri's pass rush last year? They've, they've been a team that's been remarkably consistent uh, pass rush wise since they came to the SEC and when they were winning back-to-back SEC East titles they had one of the best pass rushes in the country last year they only had 19 sacks what happened to Missouri's pass rush and, and will it be better in 2020 uh, good question I think that Missouri's pass rush kind of went to a more contained focus more so than just attack the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, you know, those players who you kind of have in mind, a Marcus Golden, a Shane Ray, you know, a Sheldon Richardson, you know, just those guys, just they didn't have anyone truly to that caliber last year. They had Jordan Elliott, who was a third-round selection of the Browns and has been playing well in the NFL this year. But defense has really double or triple teamed him at all times, which is why Kobe Whiteside, who was a relative newcomer last year, got seven sacks from the other defensive tackle position. And then on the defensive end, they just had a rotation of guys, and none of them seemed to just really come out of their shell all that well. Uh, you know, it, it looked to be one of the more solid, solid units from Mizzou going into last season. They just never got consistent pressure on opposing quarterbacks, and that really hurt them, uh, despite their strength at linebacker and probably a strength at, in the secondary as well. It, it was odd to have, you know, their, their weakness on the defense be the defensive line after such this string of guys – you know, that had come through the program. So will it be better in 2020? It looks to be better because there's really only one direction it can go. Um, <laughs> under, under you know, Rick Haley, who's a good coach. You know, they seem, like have, they seem to have the right depth this year, and they were, they were, there were some injury problems last year. Uh, 
You know, when you lose Jordan Elliott, they bring in, you know, Markel Utzi, who I think is going to be one of the more underrated players in the entire team um, at, at that defensive tackle spot. You have some guys like a Trey Williams. You have, you know, at the other defensive end spots going to be either Chris Turner or Isaiah McGuire. You know, it just it, it looks to be better, but that's that's going off of not that much from the 2019 to improve. Uh, looking on the offensive side for, for a second, Missouri did have a couple of running backs produce last year. Both of them are, are coming back. Larry Roundtree, a third, and Tyler Batty. Is that right? Beatty. Beatty. Okay, Ty- Tyler Beatty. Tell us about those two. Yeah, Larry Roundtree is a former all-conference back. Uh, essentially, everybody kind of, and it's kind of the trend with the defensive line, kind of, but with the offense as well, everybody kind of regressed with Kelly Bryan as quarterback. You know, it just, it just, when the wheels fell off, they just never got put back on correctly last year. So, technically, Larry Roundtree regressed, but had a pretty good season with around 850 yards. And Tyler Beatty was the team's leading receiver, which shows you how the MU offense was working when a running back was the team's lead, leading, lead, leading receiver with 32 receptions. And that hadn't happened since the mid-90s. Um, you know, just two very capable backs, and they'll definitely get the bulk of the work. And I might be my guess that they really lean on the two of them to be the anchor for this offense. I really think that, you know, with, with the transition going on a wide receiver, although it's a deep group, you know, it's a group that really hasn't played together before. You know, they still have not named a starting quarterback. My pick is it'll probably be TCU transfer Sean Robinson, but it could be, Richard freshman Connor Baselak coming off of ACL surgery as well. Uh, tight ends really unproven with Albert O now on the Broncos and he's gone. So really the, the group who returns the most consistency is the running back spot. So if there's a path for Missouri to even contend with Alabama in this game, I think it's to just drain the clock, get in, get out and run with the guys that they have that have experience in Tyler Beatty, uh, Larry Roundtree, and then the combination of Dawson Downing and Elijah Young who are a true freshman who was former Mr. Tennessee football and Elijah Young and Dawson Downing was a lot of games under his belt. So that would be kind of the route I see Missouri going offensively. We'll, we'll wrap up with this one. Alabama was really good at taking short passes and turning them into huge explosive plays last year. And with a, with a new starting quarterback, you would presume that the short passing game is, is going to be prominently featured at least early. In, in their offense. Uh, we know Missouri has two solid safeties in Joshua Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie, but do they have the corners and the nickel and dime guys to cover the short throws well to contain the Jalen Waddles and Devontae Smiths of the world and, and keep a five-yard slant from turning into an 80-yard touchdown? Right, yeah. And Missouri really didn't have a problem with that last year. I mean, the one play I can kind of remember where they had that problem was against South Carolina where Brian Edwards turned a screen pass into a 76-yard touchdown. And that was really the only play South Carolina made against Missouri the entire day, which was probably their best game last year. Um, and I can't remember too many other plays that just worked like that for Missouri. Missouri has a 4-2-5 defense. So really, uh, three safeties and two corners are going to be the ones kind of guarding that, or more so one, one of the safeties, the boundary safety, who is Tyree Gillespie, as you mentioned, uh, is going to be all over the field kind of guarding that. Um, at one of the corner positions is Jarvis Ware, returning starter. At the other corner position, and this is actually kind of interesting, it's Ennis Rakestraw, who yeah. Alabama fans might remember that name. Uh, he had a final three during the February signing window of Alabama, Missouri, and Texas. Uh, very much seemed like it was more of a top two just between Missouri and Alabama. And he went Missouri. 
and, is, and was named today as one of the starting corners over a senior. And that's a huge sign when you, you fully expect it to be a guy named Adam Sparks at the other corner spot, how much experience he has. But everybody's been raving about Ennis Rakestraw, about his potential. And now, welcome to the SEC. You know, you get to go against Jalen Waddle. Congratulations. Well, um, that is interesting because I remember when, when he chose Missouri and signed, there was that video of, uh, yeah. of Eli Drinkwitz celebrating going through the, the halls, having pulled a corner like that. Yeah, I, I think that that well that that video in itself represented more than just Ennis Rakestraw. Uh, that that was kind of the first flag in the ground. This is an Eli Drinkwood style of thing to do with that signing class after being hired in uh, December, because the first ten guys he got were all signees under Barry Odom, so those weren't his guys. But he's the one who got Ennis Rakestraw. He didn't offer Ennis Rakestraw. That happened back in October of 2019. But he's the one who. I guess convinced him or made him flip for whatever reason from Alabama to Missouri, even when Nick Saban visited him at his home in, Dun- in Duncanville, Texas. And Missouri did send a team down there in between Eli Jones' hire and Christmas of guys to kind of court Ennis Rakestraw. So, you know, it, it, obviously for Alabama fans, I'm sure getting a guy like Ennis Rakestraw is just an average Wednesday or a Tuesday for you guys. Uh, Missouri, though, it's a little more rare. So getting a guy who I think was probably – I don't buy into star readings, but definitely underrated as a three-star prospect and now can start from day one at a very deep position on Missouri, I think shows his potential, you know. They're throwing him right into the fire, and it'll be interesting to see his journey in particular. I mean, I, I've, I you know, talked to people about him in the past, and he had described Alabama as his dream school despite picking Missouri. So your dream school is going to line up for you on day one of college football into the second best team in the country. Congratulations. <laughs> that will be an interesting matchup. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I know that now. I'll be, I'll be paying extra close attention to that. He is Eric Blum, the Missouri beat writer for the Columbia Daily Tribune. You can follow him on Twitter at by Eric Blum. I'd suggest doing that already if you, if you haven't already, but do it now uh, as you're listening to this. He'll have the Missouri side of things covered for – for the USA Today Network. Uh, Appreciate your time joining us on the Bama Beat Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Brett. Thanks for having me on. Again, thanks very much to to Eric for for his time and and the insight. And I'm not going to lie, until until he mentioned it, I totally forgot that Enos Rakestraw was at Missouri after getting some attention from from Alabama. And and now he very well could be starting against Alabama in, in his first game is is a true freshman. So that'd be, that'd be an interesting storyline. Thanks to, thanks to Eric for, for bringing that to, to my attention. I I mentioned, I have one more question for you on this game, but before we get to that, we want to let you know that Wickles Pickles is a great place to go for anything you're making on a game day. We're all doing the home tailgate thing or what, whatever the case may be, but you're still going to have some food for your game, right? You can make a, a sandwich with some Wickles pickles on it. You could use the Wickles pickles sandwich spread in a lot of ways. You can get the relish to go into the deviled eggs or uh, a chicken salad of some kind. It's versatile is what I'm telling you. Uh, all the products are versatile. So go to WicklesPickles.com to learn more about their products. My question for you is, how dangerous do you think Larry Roundtree III is is going to be in this game? I, I looked it up. He is fifth 
in the SEC in rushing yards among returning running backs from from last year. It's it's Najee Harris, Kylan Hill. Uh, is it the Arkansas running back Boyd? Is it Hakeem? Rakeem. 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 Yeah. Rakeem. Um. And and there's one more. Um. I I, I can't believe he, he slipped my mind. I'm gonna. I'm going to pull this up right now because if I don't, it's going to drive me crazy. Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M. Um, so he was, he's fifth among returning SEC running backs in, in rushing yards last year. He had 829 with nine touchdowns. He wasn't much of a receiving threat because, as you mentioned, Tyler Beatty was the, the leading receiver in terms of receptions on last year's team as, as a running back. How dangerous do you think Larry Roundtree can be in this game? Uh, I think he's going to be – that's going to be an area that Alabama's defense is going to need to focus in on uh, because the way that he runs, you know, he's 5'10", something like 210, 212 pounds, something like that, kind of lower center, uh, center of gravity, runs with power, he's got great vision, and he compliments, you know, being that early down back to Tyler, to Tyler Beatty. I think they're an excellent thunder and lightning approach, the traditional thunder and lightning approach, uh, much, you know, a little bit different than, than throwing – you know, 230-pound Najee Harris out there and then turn around and, and following it up with a Trey Sanders or a, a Brian Robinson Jr. who can also, you know, just from a power standpoint, bring that aspect uh, to the table. But for, you know, Larry Roundtree is a guy that, you know, I understand last year he only rushed for, you know, just over 800 yards like you mentioned. But the year before he went 1,200-plus with double-digit touchdowns. And, and the year before that, he still rushed for over 700 yards as a true freshman with six touchdowns. So he, he's had a lot of success uh, in the SEC. He's done it over an extended period of time, so you don't have to worry about him being you know, a flash in the bucket. What I worry about for him would be that offensive line. You know, I still think they're going to be working some things out, trying to replace three of the five starters. Uh, they're probably going to be trying to run off the right side with those established guys um, and, and Case Cook and Larry Borum as much as, as humanly possible uh, for it being your first game going against Alabama, trying to get some sort of uh, offensive identity established early. But Alabama was, you know, they, they struggled against the run last year uncharacteristically. Now, it wasn't horrible by any means, but just, you know, from Alabama standards, it was not where they wanted it to be. Uh, and But with that depth on the defensive line, you know, you get Dylan Moses back. Uh, you got options right there up the middle of, of your defense. Might have to try a lot, of, a lot of off tackle stuff, and I don't know how much success they're going to be able to uh, to have with that. I'll be really curious to see, but I mean, Larry Roundtree is a guy we've seen players in the past, you know, go for uh, you know over 100 yards, and it's possible just from sheer volume. You know, I could see him getting 25 plus carries in this game, uh, but I could also see them getting down early and kind of having to abandon what he does well, and Tyler Beatty actually being the the kind of main running back that you see based off a of game script. So it, it's kind of hard to tell, but uh, I have a lot of respect for Larry Roundtree, but this might not be the, the game for him to kind of stand out and shine. I just bring it up because I think it's actually a, a halfway decent test for, for this new Alabama defense where they expect uh, significant improvement at both defensive line and inside linebacker with the experience. Some of those young guys gained last year on the defensive line and, Dylan Moses back at, at inside linebacker, and uh, naturally they're they're going to be tested uh, much more significantly than this when Georgia comes to town, when Auburn comes to town, when LSU comes to town to a lesser extent when they go or when uh, when Texas A and M comes to town, excuse me, um, and then when to a lesser extent when they go to Tennessee. 
Um, but this isn't a half bad test. Missouri's got a couple of decent running backs. They, they've got a, a system that doesn't um, value throwing the ball just for throwing the ball's sake. They, they, they'll run the football on you, and they'll do so in, in creative ways. As, as I mentioned in the interview with Eric Blum, Eli Drinkwitz does have some Gus Malzahn influence in him, so there's, there's going to be some unique and creative ways to, to run the football when you, when you have that in your, in your coaching background. Um, so that's all, that's all there for, for Missouri. And I think it could actually be a, a somewhat decent test. Um, final score prediction from you, Clint. Oh, exact final score. Um, if you're going to pin me down to that, like I said, I think Alabama somewhere in the 40 to 45 range. I think Missouri somewhere from the 10 to 14, uh, final score with it being Alabama minus 27 and I'm picking Alabama. It's kind of tough for me to sit there and say, Oh, 42, 14, uh, because that's, you know, barely, that's a point difference. And I'm fairly confident Alabama should cover. So I'm going to go ahead and say 45, to 13 you know i i have to send um final score predictions in each week and i'm having trouble finding the email in which i i sent that i, I want to say i went like 41 10 or 42 10 something something like that um okay. Okay. A, a cover is, is the point as i said earlier i, I think they're i think they're gonna cover and, and whether my final score prediction that's in print on, on Saturday says it or not, which again, I, I can't remember exactly if this line had gotten up to 35 or maybe like 33, I would still, I would still probably really consider Bama to cover. Yeah, I, I agree I'm with apparently you. Apparently just a huge Mac Jones stand. I don't know how this happened. Well, and it's, it's, we all know about my journey as far as having to constantly, <laughs> keep the the people at bay that have been like to make up stories about my hate for Bryce Young it's like that the two things can't coexist I can't love two quarterbacks there's only one that you can only have one wife well apparently you can only have one quarterback uh, that you love and I've been giving too much of my love to Mac Jones and some people are not happy about it but don't worry I cannot wait to tweet at you whenever Bryce Young makes his first big completion or his first big scramble I, I, I can't wait I'll tell you right now, because I knew that was coming from you, and I knew that was going to be coming from other people. So I'm going ahead and putting it out there. That second that happens, you're going to see me praising Bryce Young in the same way that I would praise Mac Jones. And I'm, you know what? You can call it cheating. You can call it not being faithful. Um, I might have to walk around with a with a red A. But oh my God! <laughs> but at the same time, I'm sticking with two quarterbacks. I think you know I don't care who's out there for Alabama with the talent they got. They're going to be just fine, um, and, and not just the talent uh, that they possess, but the talent that's going to be around them. Both are going to be success, uh, set up for success early on. So that's going to be fun to watch, guys. That's going to be happening, you know, at Missouri Saturday, September 26th at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Definitely uh, stick around and, and check that out on Saturday. Can't wait. We're finally here, Brett. We'll have a lot more to talk about. Tomorrow, we're going to get Cecil on the pod. We're going to get Hunter. We're going to do our college pick em podcast. Cecil is extremely busy, guys. Getting him locked down and, and to, to be able to do some of these podcasts 
can be very difficult, but he does his absolute best to try to be on here for you guys because he knows, you know, as much as I'm sure you guys enjoy hearing Brett and I, um, you know, Cecil's the main reason that most people want to listen to this podcast, and we certainly want to give you the content you're looking for. So that'll be happening tomorrow. Brett's going to be taking part this year. He's not going to be on the podcast because we're not trying to lock him down to three different podcasts every single week because he's a busy man too uh, in high demand as well. So he's going to be getting his picks. I'm going to get those games to, to those guys at some point today. Let's uh, not dep- let's not pretend that I'm in high demand, Clint. Let's let's not do that. You are you telling me your two twin little girls don't demand a lot of your attention? I mean, they they do, but they're the only ones. <laughs> well, hey, do you have a busy schedule today or not? Yeah, yes, that's that's true. Okay, then I, I, my point Fair stands. Enough. Even, though, even that, though you're trying to be humble right now, it, it it leads some credence that I'm frankly not worthy of. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to help my co-host out here. I, I appreciate my agent doing doing my bidding for me. Hey, you're most certainly welcome. I'm a co-host slash agent. That's my job. Uh, that's what I'm here for. And we're also here to tell you guys to buy Wickles Pickles. This has been the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. <laughs>